0: Yeah, you can have a seat this morning, 9 a.m., spring break, relentless Sunday. Thank you for being here. I uh, I want to tag on to what Raph mentioned um, about uh, reading Mark. I, I, it's so good. Some of you have been posting on social media, which is great. It's it's not about that. It's about you meeting Jesus in his word, whoever you are, wherever you are. And uh, we're not just reading it We're we're... Ingesting it, studying it, soaking it, praying through it, um, and if you didn't know about that, or if you just been distracted, that's fine. Just join us this week. So today starts Mark 12. We got four more chapters, uh, five more chapters of Mark uh, as we do this as a church. So I invite you to join us. Uh, y'all like uh, movies? Yeah, I love movies. I love going to movies. I love studying movies. I love looking at box office numbers. I like award shows. Like I love everything about a movie and how it does and why it does it. Uh, My my favorite genre. I don't have a favorite genre, but I'll tell you what. It's not. It's not Disney movies. I'm not a hater, right? I like Disney movies. I just don't like in the theater. Like, I'm not going to the theater to see. I'll just wait till, you know, when our kids were little or smaller, we did that. Anybody got, like, a favorite? You can talk in the 9 a.m. service if you didn't know that. All right, 11 o'clock, you don't have to tell them. All, but you guys are still waking up, and we're, we're learning together. It's only our, what, third, fourth week of 9 a.m.? Uh, tell me, if you have a favorite Disney movie, say it out loud where I can hear you. Aladdin. Aladdin. What was it? Incredibles. Incredibles. I did like Incredibles. All right, I would love to be in the room when they're pitching these Ideas, right? Because I can't remember what's Disney and what's not always, but the Incredibles, um, Aladdin, is Toy Story, is that, uh, is that Disney? Is that, right? Like it's just, you know, talking cars and like, no, that won't, and what makes it and what doesn't make it, it's amazing. And then they do an incredible job and they're, all those are great movies. Well, in the 90s, all right, there was a, there was a guy named Jeffrey Katzenberger. You don't need to know anything about him. Um, and he was the second or third in command in Disney under Michael Eisner, And uh, he pitched a movie, this Jeffrey Katzenberger guy, he pitched a movie to Disney. um, And they said, no, we're not doing that for whatever reason. Well, a few years later, there was a big split and a big breakup. And Katzenberger went and started his own deal, started his own company uh, called DreamWorks. You might've heard of it. And when he started his own company, he's like, hey, we can do the movie that Disney didn't want to do. So he got with Spielberg, Steven Spielberg, and they made this movie. And um, we'll talk about this movie a little bit, but I want to the movie is straight from, or almost straight from, Scripture. And I want to just tell you uh, the, the story this morning, the events, as we continue this behind-the-curtain series in a little different way. It, it starts, uh, well, at the end of what we know as Genesis, uh, this amazing story we've talked about before of, uh, of Joseph um, coming to prominence in the land of Egypt and um, God just being so amazing with all the stuff that he went through. Well, right after that, after Joseph and his people die out, we're told that um, the people in charge of Egypt no longer knew or remembered much about Joseph. And they saw how the Jewish people, the Hebrews, were um, multiplying quickly and growing in number. And it started to scare those in command in the country of Egypt. And they thought, man, these people, these Hebrews, they're going to overrun us. So they started to work them um, and oppressed them in some ways. And they just multiplied more. And there was more and more Hebrews. So then they straight up put them into slavery. And, and the Bible tells us it was brutal slavery. Brutal. Like they, they abused the Hebrew, Hebrew people, men, women, and children in every way imaginable. They, they abused them. And they did this for years and years and years. And the Hebrews were still young. You know, this isn't um, that far after Abraham, and we've been talking a lot in this series about the promise that God made to Abraham, that he would bless all people one day, and they were still young and learning their, who their God was, but they knew to cry out to him, and it took a long time, and that's really hard for us to understand the timing and when God works and when he doesn't. But eventually, God goes to a man who's out in the wilderness, and there's a whole long story of why, named Moses, and he says, You're going to go get my people from Israel. You're going to free them. I've heard the cries and prayers of my people, and you're going to go free them. And Moses' immediate reaction is, no, not me. Right? And he's got all kinds of reasons, and God keeps answering. And finally, it says God gets frustrated because Moses has an excuse for every reason of why he shouldn't be the one. And he's got a pretty good excuse because God is telling him, you're going to go talk to Pharaoh for me. You're going to be my mouth to Pharaoh. And Moses' excuse is, my mouth is messed up. We found out later from scripture that he, he had a stuttering problem, right? Of all the people that God could have picked to go speak on his behalf to Pharaoh, why pick the stutterer, right? But we learned something huge that matters in 2022 about God, right? That he is not nearly as concerned about your weakness as you are. In fact, if you will surrender your weakness, and we all have them, some of us hide them better than others, Right? Some of us post about our weaknesses. That's fine. You might want to stop doing that. Uh, Just joking. Right? We all have our issues and our weaknesses. The truth about everybody in the room, if you will surrender your weaknesses, God will show his strength through them. And what's more powerful? The best speaker, you know, most eloquent, whatever, goes before Pharaoh and does this great speech, and Pharaoh is moved? Or God picks a guy who doesn't speak well to show his power? Because then we know... Well, it ain't Moses. It's God working through. That's what we want. That's what we want in your life. We want you to taste that in your life, in your job, uh, in your marriage. And like there are weaknesses and there are issues. That's why we need each other. So it's so good to see our church week by week. It's been a rebuild. Just we're four weeks in. You just see more people coming back every week. We need each other and we need to believe that God will work in your weakness, He'll show His strength in that and he'll also surround you. So what God did is say, you know what? We'll get your brother. If you're so scared about speaking, we'll get your brother Aaron. He'll go with you. He, can, he, can, he doesn't have your issues, so I'll speak to you. And when you can't speak, just tell Aaron, and then Aaron will speak for you. So they got this whole system that they, they do. They, they go before Pharaoh one of the early times, and they have like a, they have like a magic trick competition. It's not really that, but But it's crazy because we learned something about evil and power because, you know, you watch magic stuff today and, you know, it's all sleight of hand and illusion. It's crazy. But there is, it's crazy. There is a, according to scripture, there is a darkness power connected to tricks. Pharaoh's sorcerers were able to like turn stuff into snakes, like for real. So Aaron threw his staff down, his, you know, cane, and it turned into a snake and his snake ate all of the Pharaoh's people's snakes. So God wanted the Pharaoh to see that and like, oh, I'm dealing with somebody different than what I thought and we should surrender and let these people go be with their God. But it says that Pharaoh's heart was hardened, right? And that can be tricky if you you haven't, like that's not fair. Every time we see in scripture somebody's heart being hardened, they had an act in the hardening of their own heart, right? Your disobedience, your arrogance, your pride will harden your heart. Right, so so God allowed that, and God was involved in that, but Pharaoh was very much (laughs) responsible for his own heart. And as we've seen throughout history, uh, when you're getting slave labor, when you're getting the uh, results of eating well, uh, not having to pay people for your luxury and your wealth, it's very difficult for the people in power to let that go. So Pharaoh's like, "No, you. What are you talking about? Just because you do a little trick." we're not going to let the the Hebrews go. So then if if you've heard or ever read the the book of Exodus begins these awful, awful plagues that God sends because his people, he's got a plan, he's had a plan from the beginning, he's got a plan for us, right? To free them and to take them to the promised land. So it starts with with Moses turning um, all the water in Egypt into blood, right? And people are freaking out. As you, can you imagine? You drive by Jordan Lake and it's blood, like everything falls apart with that. It definitely gets Pharaoh's attention, but not enough. So he goes on to plague two and plague three, and we got locusts and we got frogs, we got all kinds of awful things. And, and it starts to get where they're doing things that, that each uh, Pharaoh's sorcerers, they're like, we don't know what this is. This has to be a, something. This has to be God. So Pharaoh says, you know what? I'll let you go. I'll let you go but just the men, where he says, I'll let you go, but you can't leave the country, you gotta stay here. And, and Moses is like, no, God wants his people and he wants them to go out into the wilderness and it's gotta be all of them. Well, eventually uh, it just gets worse and worse and worse until God sends the final plague, the 10th and the worst plague. And he tells Moses to tell all the Israelites, all the Hebrew people, the Jewish people that are living in, in a land called Goshen, which is part of Egypt, and he tells me, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find a lamb in your flock, a perfect lamb without blemish, not a diseased lamb that nobody wants, but a perfect lamb. I want you to kill the lamb and I want you to eat the lamb in a certain way and it very specific ways that you eat the lamb and how you roast it and how you cook it with unleavened bread and these certain herbs. But I want you to take, on this particular day and night, I want you to take blood from the lamb and I want you to wipe it on the doorpost of your house. Because on this night, the God, is gonna, the God of, of wrath, in this case, is going to send his destroying angel, and God is going to kill every firstborn in every house, except for those that have blood on their doorposts. And sure enough, right, I cannot imagine and you cannot imagine the wailing and the grieving of a nation. Like, war is awful. We see that today but I don't, I don't think there's ever been a morning in history like the morning in Egypt. Ever, imagine, like we're, we're, we're not a huge church. Just, just first service, just the nine o'clock. You imagine, I can't, it's unspeakable grief if we all lost our firstborn tonight. It happened to every livestock and every Egyptian house. Woke up in the middle of the night to their firstborn being dead. And not one Hebrew was lost or killed because they all put the blood on their doorpost. Well, Pharaoh said, you know, the people rose up and said, you got to let them go. We're all going to die if you don't listen. You should have listened six plagues ago. Get them out of here. So he says to Moses, get your people and go. And they leave Egypt and they're a ways out of town on their way to where God's going to take them. And Pharaoh changes his mind and gets mad and and he sends his army after him go get them, go kill them all. And they're stuck between the Egyptian army and the Red Sea and Moses, uh, God directs Moses to hit the ground and the, the sea parts and they cross over the Red Sea and then the Egyptian army goes in and follows them and then the sea comes back together and drowns the entire Egyptian army and that begins this journey in the wilderness of the Hebrew people to find their place and they don't have any food and they start to complain God, why did you free us from Egypt? Now we're hungry. He's like, now we're going to die in the desert. We would have rather died in Egypt. And God gives them this bread that shows up every morning on the dew of the ground. And they call it manna. Manna is the Hebrew. It just means, what is it? Right? That's the the translation. The Hebrew word for what is it is manna. When your significant other makes you a meal, I would advise against saying, what is it? But, but they didn't mean it as, a, as an insult. What is it? They meant it like we've never seen this before. But it was a supernatural way that God fed them until they got where they were going. Um, and then eventually they go and, and God meets Moses on the mountain and he gives them what we refer to as the Ten Commandments. And they get eventually to the promised land uh, that we would see today in Jerusalem and all that goes with that and has gone with that in history. Now we've been in this behind the curtain series, right? And we've been talking about how God invites us behind the curtain. And for the whole eventually they got to the the time in history where they would go into the temple and and only the high priest one day a year could go behind the curtain because that's where God met them, but he was holy and they were sinful, and there was no way for God to really be tight with them, like he wanted to be tight with them because of their sin. So the the high priest would go in on the Day of Atonement one day a year and have to kill and and do and we talked about all those things. Well, the, what was in the Holy of Holies, as they called it, was, was the Ark of the Covenant. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's staff that he used, was uh, a jar with some manna in it, and the Ten Commandments. That was within was the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies that we've been discussing for now, what, three weeks. You know, there's, there's not a lot of staying power in traditions, like we could start something today, like, hey, every April 10th, let's do this, relentless, let's, let's all, you know, you know, wear black shirts, to, you know, whatever. And that'd be cool, maybe, it really wouldn't, right? But, but how long would that last, right? Well, this event that I just told you, it lasted through all of Israel's history. history it was called the Passover because the angel of death passed over any house that had blood on the doorpost. Right? It was they were saved from death through the blood of that lamb. It lasted for you know through the time where they were in exile. It lasted through the first temple. Then the temple got destroyed. The, the Jews got you know uh, scattered throughout the world. And they came back and they rebuilt the temple. And all these times, all the way up to Jesus Day, Jews would still. This is 13 to 1500 years after the story I just told you. Jesus went to Passover as a kid with his parents to Jerusalem. And the last week of his life, the reason he's in Jerusalem where he is killed, the reason he is there is because of Passover. So they made a movie about, they didn't call it Moses. What'd they call it? They called it the Prince of Egypt, right? And it did all right back in 1990, whatever. They $218 million, right? It is, uh, at the time, it was the uh, highest uh, grossing non Disney animation movie ever. Right? So I'm glad they made it because it brought to life this history, like we talked about last week. It's part of our history, Jewish or not. It's part of where we came from and what we're about. But in this last week, Jesus tells, Raph referenced it earlier, he tells them to go get things ready. And he sits down with his followers. And they're, they're partaking of the Passover meal. 1,500 years later, God had given them specific instructions to eat this and do this. And it was very specific to remember exactly what had went down and how God freed them from Egypt. So they celebrated that every year. And Jesus looked at his guys and, his, and ladies in that room and he said, I've been looking forward to having this meal with you. Or you imagine, I cannot, you imagine Jesus knowing knowing he's about to feel the weight of the world's sin, knowing as a holy, perfect God in human flesh he was going to become our sin. I cannot imagine. And also the physical torture he's about to endure. Like he had lived his life, he's 33 years old, and he's always been what he's been, and he's never sinned, and he's about to not just get the taste of sin. He's about to get the the penalty and the guilt and the shame and the punishment for your sin and the entire world's sin at one time. And yet the night before, he's able to say, I've really been looking forward to this Passover meal with you. It's not a coincidence that Jesus made emphasis of the Passover. We see later in Scripture, Paul actually refers in 1 Corinthians, he refers to Jesus as the Lamb of God. I think we've got that on the screen for you. He refers to him as the Passover, the Passover lamb, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. For Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Early in John, Jesus walks into a scene and, and John and says, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, part of behind the curtain, we talked for a couple weeks about coming behind the curtain and how God invites you and gives you access through Jesus. Remember the key verse uh, that, that our hope is an anchor to our soul. This hope enters into the inner place behind the curtain because Jesus went ahead of you as your high priest. Now you don't need any human to get to God. Right? And now, behind, part of behind the curtain today, as we end this series and lead into Easter, the whole prayer has been that our hearts and minds would be different on Easter Sunday this year because we've sat in the details of what actually was accomplished. And what was accomplished was a transition from the Passover that had been celebrated every year from the time the Jews left Egypt up into Jesus on this night as our Passover. Lamb. Here's what he said after that, Jesus in Luke chapter 22. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Right? And we can just read that verse kind of quickly sometimes on a Sunday morning, and preacher might just throw out, and you know, we're a church for the untold, unconvinced, and I'm telling you next year, I want to see these seats filled with your people that are not sure, or they used to go to church, or they got hurt at church, or they don't even know that if there is a God, or they're not sure if Jesus ever, like that's the people we love, right? And and you as a seller, if you're a follower of Jesus, like this is, Easter is, like we celebrate Easter every day as followers of Jesus, but we we love that the, everything kind of stops in our culture to to recognize and deep and dig into the truth of what Jesus accomplished. So, if, if if we're if we're just talking casually and I just throw that out there, yeah, Jesus and new blood in the covenant. That's weird. If you've been in church, you've heard that a lot, but for normal people, that's weird. That sounds cultish. Like what are you talking about? Right? Hopefully, if you've been with us in this series, you get a little bit of the of the heaviness that Jesus just said, "I'm establishing a new covenant in my blood." And a new covenant can't be new unless there's something old. There is a transition and a replacement theology That what has happened, that all this time, God was just setting us up for our need for a Messiah, that the the work and the sacrifice and the animals and the blood and all that the Jewish people had to do to temporarily, just temporarily get through, but they really couldn't get to God. All of that. Now there's a new covenant. Well, how how do you just decide there's a new covenant? Who can do that? Only God. And this was God in flesh through his son, Jesus. I am about to establish a new covenant. and I'm going to do it with blood, just as, just as the Israelite people were saved through the blood of a perfect lamb. Isn't that crazy? Right? This isn't, this isn't the Disney story where you're sitting down in a room and a lot of times if you know like story writing and movies and some of these crazy shows that we binge watch, right, that they kind of know where it's ending and then they start from there and they, they work backwards to see how they can all set it up and it's so like we don't know and it's so, right, You can't do that with scripture. You can't do that with 40 different authors over all these centuries coming from these places in different languages. You can't know that. You can't possibly connect what happened in Egypt 1,500 years before Jesus with a carpenter sitting down who had no power, no clout, no nothing saying I'm gonna establish a new covenant with my blood. The only way that can be real is if there is an author Of life. And like I told you two weeks ago, he's writing one story from Genesis to 2022 and on. He's writing one story to redeem and get his people, and this is the moment. This is the night that it begins, that the the plan all along for thousands of years comes to fruition. There's another verse in Hebrews. There's a lot of verse in Hebrews as we've seen in this series, but just to give you a little bit of this covenant idea, says, for on the one hand, Hebrews 7, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Now that's kind of hard verse, with a lot of words in there, right, and it's not to, like the, the commands of God are never useless, or what, what it's saying is the law, meaning the law as the path to get to God. I obey the law, that gets me right with God. That is weak, and useless. Why? Because you have to keep it perfectly. The only way to be right before God in the old covenant is to keep the law perfectly. Nobody could do that. The best of us, nobody ever lived a sinless, perfect life. So it says the law made nothing perfect. All the law did was show you that you'll never be what God needs. How awesome is that? Thank you, law. All it did is highlight in your heart and your lives have proven it. Some of you, you've tried right? It's not a lack of effort. You've tried to do right and be right, and you've done good some days, but some days you have not. You have fallen short, and the law only points out that you've fallen short. It doesn't do anything to help you, right? And that was from God. Why? To show us. If we thought we could do it, you're going to live miserable, self-righteous lives. If you think I can perform in a way that will make God smile at me, like, look at that one. Man, they don't They don't ever mess up. They don't ever make the wrong decision. Their their heart is pure. Their thoughts are pure. Their mouth is pure. Everything about their life is pure. He never says that. And there's so much freedom in that because we knew that now we don't have to be perfect. We just go to the perfect one. We go to the one who was perfect for us, who started a new covenant in his blood because he knew we would never be good enough to get to God on our own. But he was good enough because he was God in a human body. And now... This verse, the law made nothing perfect, but now on the other hand, a better hope, all right? There was hope in the old covenant because it was a foreshadowing of the hope to come, but now a better hope has come. Why? Because through it, we draw near to God. Not that the Israelites couldn't draw near to God. They could, but it's different You're invited. I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't even care what you come into this room with this Sunday morning. God knows your name. God knows your story. God knows your heart. God knows your doubts. God knows your pride. God knows your issues, and He invites and wants and draws you. Like, come on, close. And there's something in our human default. We talked about this at the beginning of the series. Oh, if it's a holy God, then I don't. I think I need to keep a healthy distance. That's old covenant. Well, I've only been following Jesus for like months. I don't know how close. It doesn't matter. It's Jesus is the one who went to get you close. Jesus went on your behalf. There is no anything that you can say that's a good reason to God for you to keep a healthy distance. You're invited under the new covenant to draw near to God. And that's good. Right, I think... Sometimes we, all we have is human relationships, right? So it's natural to kind of compare our relationship with this invisible God. I was talking before service and just a beautiful story that, that one, of our, one of our people was sharing about coming to see God as her father in real life and how, how that's affected her life in a tough time. And it's hard sometimes to, this invisible God, so all we, we default back to are human relationships, right? And I think there's, that makes a lot of sense, right? But if you, if you like, want to be my friend, right? And I'm like, man, i always wanted to be your friend, but you never really look at me at Sunday morning. You just kind of ignore me, so I guess you didn't want to be my friend, right? But then you say, like, hey, let's go to lunch, all right? and I'm like, this is cool. Like, I think I'm going to get to be friends with this guy I was wanting to be friends with anyway, and we're going to be friends. And then we have a couple lunches, and, and I get a little more relaxed, and I start telling you what I really think, right? Not the stage, you know, where I got to, you know, be smart uh, in what I say. But I tell, you know, and I'm just, I'm fully me in every way. And I try to be fully me up here. It gets me in trouble too, but. And then, uh, man, I hit you up for like, hey, it's been a while, let's get together. And you start ghosting me, right? And then all of a sudden I, t- I say, hey, have you seen so-and-so? It's like, no, and then somebody reach out, yeah, they I think they're going to a different church. It's like, oh, see I felt that, human relationships, right? You felt that. Something was right or something, you had a friend, the more they got to know you, the more the friendship stopped, right? Oh, and then you start playing games, like what did I say, what did I do, all that mess? So we, and maybe you're like, what are you talking about? But We bring some of that into God. We, we really struggle to fully believe that the, there is no more to know about you God knows. Your insecurities, the thought that you thought this week that you would just crumple on the floor if anybody knew that you thought it. God knows. The thing you did That Jesus went to the cross so you didn't have to carry. And some of you, you did it a decade or more ago, and you still look in the mirror, and you still put the worst moment on as who you are. That's why Jesus went to the cross. He knows you did that, but that's not who you are. He invites you to come near. And the reason he can do that, it's not a history story, it's not a Disney movie, it's a reality, it's a historical event. Jesus went to a cross and died for your sins, but he didn't just do that. He cleared the way and invited you into a personal, you don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to be a priest, you don't have to pass a test. Your faith gains you entrance into an intimate relationship with the holy God who made you and knows everything about you. And he established a new covenant in his blood. You know, Joy, you hear her amen and back there. You'll hear from her a little bit next week. Um, but she, you know, we prayed. We mentioned last week she just got back from Israel. And we were talking about the beautiful things, but also some of the heartache. And, you know, there's Jewish people that are Christians. There's plenty of uh, Messianic Jews, Jews that, have, that follow Christ today all over the world there's also Jewish people that that still live under the old covenant. And I was reading about, you know, because the Passover, you know, Jesus didn't end the Passover necessarily, but but communion kind of replaces that. In a way, it's still good to, to remember what God did in Egypt and his power because it was a precursor and a foreshadowing of freeing us through Jesus. But Jewish people still celebrate the Passover every year. And I was reading about that and I read that at the end of it, there's this phrase, it's on the screen, that they, they end the Passover prayer, um, and this isn't from Scripture, this, they just added this through the years, with this line in Hebrew, till next year in Jerusalem. I was like, what does that even mean? Because they don't go to Jerusalem anymore, like they, you can celebrate Passover in America, wherever. And I read one scholar, I was like, man, I'm not buying that. So I went to multiple people, and they, there's agreement of what this means. What the last line of this Seder prayer till next year in Jerusalem, it's it's a hope that this will be the year that the Messiah comes. It's a prayer that this will be the year that the Messiah comes to earth because they don't believe the Messiah has come and we'll reestablish the old way, the old covenant or the old temple, rebuild the temple and next year will be the year we're all in Jerusalem like it used to be. How sad is that? That Jesus Christ, God in flesh, came to pay the ultimate price for our freedom. And there's people still living under the old covenant. But it's not just Jewish. There are so many people that go to church that are living in the stress and the misery and the weight of the old covenant. There's no freedom in them. There's no joy in them. There's no peace in them. Why? because they're trying to earn God's favor instead of sitting in the freedom of the love and grace that he provided through Jesus. The new covenant proves that there is a relentless God who just had a plan from the get-go to get us, to free us, and it was intricate and it was involved and it was over centuries and centuries and he was always in charge and he had all of us his new we're you know we're called the new Israel you know we're called the holy nation but our nation now is not defined by geography or citizenship or voting or language or ethnicity our citizenship is defined by Jesus we're part of the same holy nation, according to God, called by brothers and sisters he has made us by his what? By his blood. Remember, there's no forgiveness of sins without blood. That's why they had to sacrifice the animals. All the sacrifice stopped. The difference in ever, the high priest in the old day. Every year you had to come back. Every time you sinned, you had to come back and try to make it right temporarily with His holy God. Now there's a once and for all done new covenant in his blood. Man, that should... That should make every Sunday and really every Monday and every Tuesday feel like Easter Sunday. You imagine? You imagine being, remember, they were brutally oppressed slaves. Just working, building stuff for Egypt every day. And it got worse. Remember, if you know the story, Moses started doing this stuff and Pharaoh said, hey, make their work even harder just so that they'll get mad at Moses for even coming and talking to me. You imagine like living, it's not nine to five. It is working you every possible minute, every possible hour, and then receiving all the gain from your work and your oppression. And then one day you're free, and eventually you get to a new land and a new, you you know, your whole life has been a slave, and now there's freedom. That was a taste. We are slaves to sin and death. You have no ability to fix yourself. And that's not bad news. That's really good news. You can just give up trying and you can be transformed. How? Through coming behind the curtain in an intimate place. Jesus is so good at making us what we were designed to be, and he does it gently and graciously. And the only chance you have of being what you were created to be is in a relationship personally with the one who actually made and knit you together and designed you and gave you the gifts that you have. You know, I I think tradition, the word tradition, especially in church, gets a bad name, right? Because you say my Church is really traditional, right? That usually isn't a, that's not a compliment when people say that, right? And I get that, right? Because Jesus was really hard on traditions because... He said, you exchange the commands of God for the traditions of man. So that's where traditions get very, I would say, evil. When, you, when, when somebody like me says, here's what we're going to do. It's not anything to do with the Bible. It's just what I thought up. And then I put God's name on it. And then we make that a tradition. And that becomes what we're about. So that's a negative tradition. right? But if you don't, if you don't let traditions supersede what God said, then traditions can be pretty cool. Right there's a golf tournament today. Some of you will watch it. Their tagline is the best, a tradition, like unlike any other. The Masters tournament. Right Monday night. It's only a forty-yard, forty-year tradition, but it's, that's long enough to be like uh, if you're a college basketball fan, like I am. Monday night after every championship game for forty years, they they play one shining moment. I didn't watch it this year. I didn't couldn't take it. But every other year, I watch that. So, you know, it's like that's a tradition that you look forward to. We're a young church right? We celebrate our birthday. We start to have some traditions. We took a men's retreat in 2019 and it was, uh, man, it was, it was awesome. Like it, we, we were thinking, we were come, driving home, just Raph and I were talking like, hey man, we can do this so much better and this is going to be a thing and the guys got to know like this is something that's going to be part of our DNA. We just started a tradition, an annual men's retreat and then COVID, right? But we will get, we will have our second, we, I don't know, you know, we'll figure that out if it's this year or next year, but we'll get back to that. But tradition, tradition is good. I don't think tradition, though, is the right word for what we're about to do. It's more than tradition. It's deeper than that. The Passover, and there was three feasts that were really important in the annual calendar that God designed Right? It wasn't the Israelites who was like, hey, we should do something to remember how he saved us from Egypt. It was God saying, you, he gave them a party and a meal and a bunch of details of how to do it every year, and he commanded them to do it. You've got to do this. And they did it. It lasted century, like way after. Like it was great when you could talk to Grandpa. Hey, tell us what that was like. With the, with the crazy, like the doorposts, and the plagues, like tell us. But they, they eventually all died out, and they still... Every year they did it today. The Passover is still being done. God said, you're going to do this. Why? Because I need you to remember what I did and why I did it. I need you to remember who I am. And we are human beings that God made with senses and feelings. And it is easy, church, to forget. Right? The reason they made a movie in 1998 called The Prince of Egypt is because every year they kept this Passover thing going to keep that story alive. God knew it'd be easy for us to forget what Jesus said in Luke when he said, hey, I want you to take this bread that represents my body and remember And this Juice or wine that represents my blood, and remember what I did. We need, because life happens, it's easy for you to forget what God did for you, what this new covenant represents, and what this new covenant points to. Look at what Paul said. Paul said in Corinthians to a church in Corinth, I receive from the Lord. What I also delivered to you, this was a planned strategic thing from God to get into the early church to exist now for 2,000 years. Uh, What I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Right, this is a communion Sunday for us. I want you to look and focus on those words that Paul is quoting from Jesus It's several places in scripture because it's that important. This is my body. This is this cup is a new covenant. See, some of us, I think a lot of us, we grew up in a religious atmosphere in the world, maybe in, not necessarily in church, hopefully, where every Sunday was a chance for you to come and, and do your best and maybe look your best and try to be your best before God. And there's... So many problems with that that we talk about a lot. But the gospel is a gospel-centered, forever-focused, multi-ethnic movement of God. We come every Sunday with the freedom that we don't have to pretend or image, right? We're living for God and we're trying to live, but we're doing that behind the curtain in conjunction and partnership with him. The pressure is off of us. The reason we can come before a holy God is because a holy Jesus came and was our Passover lamb. That's what won us our freedom. And if you forget that, you'll start trying to win your own freedom. You'll start trying to earn what, what God has done in his love. You'll try to, try to impress and earn. And there's, that's religion. And there's so much stress. And it's a dead-end life. Well, a lot of people are done with church, because they're like, I tried that. It did not work for me. What they didn't have is behind-the-curtain theology and life of an intimate relationship where you come every Sunday and every Monday, but Sunday we come and gather and we celebrate. I got to remember Jesus, because he's the only reason. He's the one that gave me breath in my lungs, but more than that, he's the one that earned my Freedom. I am free. He looks at me as a son and daughter. I'm a child of God like we say. What did you do to become a child of God? Nothing. And I'm just going to constantly remember. Back to that verse on Corinthians. I'm going to remember my Jesus. So we're remembering what he did. And then that last verse is crazy. We're also proclaiming something. What we're about to do, we're proclaiming something that hasn't happened yet the God of history, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who freed the Hebrew people from Egypt, the God who sent Jesus in Bethlehem in a manger, the God who sent Jesus in a human body, the God who sent His Spirit to raise Jesus from the dead, the God who started His multi-ethnic church 2,000 years ago and works and lives in us today, the God who invites you behind the curtain He has promised that he will come back for his church. If you believe Egypt and the Passover happened and the death on the cross and the resurrection happened, then you must believe that there is a return of Jesus that is closer today than it's ever been. So in this moment, we remember Jesus. We continue in a tradition that's more than a tradition of what Christians have been doing for 2,000 years in remembering Jesus, his sacrifice, the covenant, the blood. And at the same time, we look forward to the promise that will be fulfilled. And we've done this with, with song plenty of times. Today, we're going to do it with no, with no music. I just want you to sit. I just want you to sit where you are. And I want you to sit in the reality. There was a carpenter that was born 2,000 years ago, to an illegitimate family who had no claim to anything, had no clout, had no money, had no following, had no reason to ever be known except that he was who he said he was. He was the Son of God, the Messiah, the anointed Lord and Christ. He died, and if that would have been the end, then we wouldn't be celebrating or talking about any of this. But as we'll get into next week a little more, he defeated death, rose from the dead. He started a new covenant in his blood that changes everything about your life. So underneath your seats are these little containers. If you don't want to do this, please don't feel any pressure. You don't have to do this. You can just sit and think and pray. But if you take the little plastic off, which you can do, there'll be a a wafer, which for us is a safe way to represent bread. You can peel the other part. So there's, there's bread and juice. So you can get that ready. I'm going to give you just a minute. You can close your eyes and pray. It's going to be quiet. Or you can just meditate on the scripture that will stay on the screen. And then I'm going to direct us to take this together. So don't take it yet. But just remember Jesus, and then we'll take it together in a minute. All right, church, if you will. Join me in as we remember Jesus, who he was, what he did, what he accomplished, the new covenant, specifically his body that was broken and tortured on our behalf, we take the bread together. If you haven't, you can go ahead and peel back the plastic on top of the juice. The people have asked, why do, why do we use juice? Um, it's easier than drinking wine, you know, people that follow Jesus. No matter the age, uh, you may not want your kid coming to church and drinking wine. Um, We also are a church because we love the long shot. Uh, We are a church um, that has more addicts, recovering addicts and all kinds of seasons than you would imagine of all kinds of addictions, not just alcohol. So for all those reasons, um, we use juice, but it's, it's a symbol, right? It's a symbol of what, of the blood. So we're gonna take this cup now representing and remembering the new covenant Jesus established in his blood. Father, we, um, we're we just amazed at your brilliance to, to give us this act that we can touch and that we can taste and that your people have been doing for so long, in so many ways, for so many years. I just thank you for meeting us in this moment. I thank you for giving us this, this act and this communion that we could commune, that we could be united with you, that we could sit with you. And I pray it would um, launch us into the week ahead and into the Easter Sunday that comes. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Before we, we go, I want to remind you a couple of things, really important. Um, you know, a lot of messages we preach are about action and go and do, all right, which is great. Um, everything that you're supposed to go and do and be as a Christian starts behind the curtain. Right? It's not to go and pray. Like somebody, sometimes we can get all about the do, and it's gonna it's gonna fall apart sometime in your life if it's not coming out of sitting with Jesus, right? So things are hard right now. If you don't know that things are hard, uh, talk to one of our people in our church. Uh, talk to a flight attendant. Talk to a server in a restaurant. Talk to any teacher at any level of any grade. Uh, talk to a referee that's doing ball games. Talk talk to a police officer, law enforcement. Right. Talk to healthcare workers. And I'm leaving out people. I apologize because it's a longer life. It is hard because people have lost their minds, right? People that really weren't that road rage people. They're road rage now. Like people are just on edge in a way that's different. So what can you do about that? It's beautiful. When you go into a restaurant, maybe today, I don't know. When you, when you interact with people, if you're just nice, you stick out like crazy now because all the crazy people are not nice right? And we love the crazy people. I hope a lot of them are here next week. But if, if you'll just be with Jesus behind the curtain, that, then you're going to go see people through his eyes. You're going to speak to people as he would want you to speak to them. And you're going to love people, right? Because the covenant is built on love. That's the bottom line of this. So, so we were hoping today would be a, a, just a sitting with Jesus, and then we're going to go be the church that he's called us to be out there. Um, if you, knew, if you know more about that scripture, 1 Corinthians 11, the context is to a church who's having some problems with communion. They did it around like a meal. Like, come, let's have a feast together, sometimes at a house, and then they would do communion as part of it. Well, the problem was, like, you think we got problems. People were coming and getting drunk before it ever got to communion, right? And Paul was having to call it, go read uh, Corinthians 11. He was having to call them out of like, listen, you're not waiting on people to do communion. In fact, you're getting drunk. Like, that's not what this is about. It's supposed to be about Jesus. So I say all that because there's a little bit that we lose sitting here, you looking at me and us doing communion together. Our favorite way to do communion as a church, it's over on the table every week. We'd like for you to come in, take it during worship, take it as you feel led. So it's there every week because it's supposed to be a part of our lifestyle. It's been hard in the pandemic. But our favorite way to do communion is in homes, around small groups and small tables where you can talk and remember Jesus a little bit more like it seems they did it in the New Testament. Um, So we've been waiting and waiting and waiting, and some of you have been waiting and waiting and waiting. And we're going to do small groups a little different. So I want, uh, I want to give you these dates. Some of you, uh, you've been asking, and you've been, what this is for you, all right? So uh, three Tuesday nights in May, we're going to come into this room, right? And we're going to all be in here, but we're going to do small groups in this room. You're going to meet some people that you haven't met. Uh, You're going to talk about Jesus to your level of comfort. Uh, We're going to answer some questions. It's going to be some fun, but it's not going to be like weird icebreaker, you know, that kind of thing. We're not going to make you uncomfortable, but we're going to get to know uh, some people and we're going to grow spiritually together in smaller groups. All right? So we'll, we, we want you to RSVP. We want you to sign up so we know who's coming. If you need child care, we would love to provide it. We'd love to. We just got to know you're coming in advance. So you got a little notice, uh, but don't be the people that wait till the last week, which is what we always do. We'd love to know and be excited. Hey, people, so three Tuesday nights, I know life is busy. We're asking you to prioritize that, you know, if at all possible, if, you, if you're ready to meet some people and to grow. Um, with some other folks. It's not going to be me up here talking. It's going to be smaller groups. We'll lead you through that. And we'll probably do communion on some of those nights, just as a natural remembering Jesus together kind of way. And then as you see, we'll give you more details, but the last Tuesday, the three Tuesday nights here, and then there's a fourth Tuesday night. It doesn't matter if you came to the other ones or not. We're just going to get together, everybody, because we're long overdue for some sort of outdoor church picnic. Woohoo! Now, Uh, Some of you might say, you know what? I don't know if I'm ready to come in here and meet people. I'm not, I don't know. Listen, if you're not ready or if you're like not sure about that, your first step is always welcome to Relentless. We do this uh, three, four times a year. We won't do another one of these until after summer. So this is your last chance. If you've never been to Welcome to Relentless, that is your next step. It's a Monday, April 25th. Sign up. Again, childcare, same thing. If you've never been to Welcome to Relentless or it's been so long, you need a refresher, we would love to have you so you know, hey, here's what we're about. Here's where we're going as a church. Here's where you can fit in to that. So that's two huge action steps you can take uh, with the group and with Welcome to Relentless. And then third, and maybe most importantly for today, Is it's Easter Sunday this week? We are going to, to, the baptistry is coming into this room after church today. We've got to figure out how to, we're going to do baptisms in this room for the first time ever. All right, next week. If you are interested in having a conversation about baptism, we would just love to know that. Tell us, tell Raph or Joy or I today, or you can sign up on the link, I want to talk about baptism or I want to be baptized. When you're ready to trust Jesus with your life, not believe, but trust him, baptism is your next step. So pray for that, enjoy that, be excited all week that you're gonna be a part of that next Sunday. And then, man, pray every day this week for people to come and for you to be an answer to your own prayer. Pray about the person God's put on your heart to invite with you to Easter services, same times, nine o'clock, 11, next week. So you got a lot to do, right? Raph mentioned with love from Jesus, that's out there. You, got, uh, you can sign up for all that stuff, the Tuesday night deal, the um, Welcome to Relentless, and you can pray every day this week about what God's going to do in this place on Easter Sunday. Are you with me? Say amen, church. All right. We'll see you next week. Say hi to somebody if you want to on your way out.